Welcome to the Soul Seeker Sisterhood podcast, where we talk all things spiritual, mystical, and transformational to inspire you at a soul level and expand your consciousness. On today's guest episode, we're going to be exploring an ancient tradition that's over 5,000 years old and is thought to be practiced by more than 2 billion people worldwide. We're going to be talking about yoga. And yoga is not just a physical exercise, but it's a spiritual transformational practice that's a way of life. And our guest today is going to take us on a journey to understand it a little bit better. Kaya Slater is a transformational holistic health coach and yoga mentor who serves humanity through a range of powerful modalities designed to tap into the integration of the mind, body, and spirit. Kaya is an accomplished senior yoga and meditation teacher with 25 years industry experience. So welcome to the show. Hello, Verity. Welcome. Well, thank you for welcoming me. And I'm so, I'm so grateful for you bringing me on the show. It's wonderful to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you today because we haven't talked to anyone about yoga. And I feel as if it's a little bit of one of those things that once you start getting into it, there's actually a lot more to it than maybe what we just see on the surface as just some exercise and that's how we sort of see it but there's so much more and there's so much more depth to it and you've obviously got a lot of experience in it so you've actually got more than 20 years experience and I know that during some of that time you have traveled the world and you have studied extensively in India whilst learning different forms of yoga so tell us a little bit about how that came to be and how this journey started for you. Yeah, definitely. I would love to. So yeah, and what you mentioned there just briefly about yoga being much more than just a physical practice, this is actually such an important sort of, I guess, fact or piece of information that I really represent within the industry is that yoga is a spiritual practice and it's a science of life that we can look at in many different ways and it has many different layers to it. So the physical practice or asana, as we call it in the West, which means posture, this is actually a very small part of what yoga is. And it's just one aspect or one facet of something that is much, much bigger. So if we look at yoga through the lens of more of a spiritual understanding, it is a practice in which we can look after the mind, body and spirit. So it encompasses many different areas. And yes, we may know the physical part, mostly in the West, but then we have so many other layers as well. And I guess that brings me sort of into the question that you just asked there, how it all came about was because I was really, really interested in how I was feeling when I was practicing the physical yoga. So, you know, I started to practice yoga very young, like when I was, 18 years old, 17 years old. And I noticed different to other forms of exercise, it made me feel very different. So it was as if there was a really positive charge of energy that ran through the cells of my body when I practiced that also really calmed my mind and helped me to get in touch with my emotions and helped me to release emotion and to release trauma. And I also noticed myself becoming a better person. You know, so it's a simple thing, but starting to shift my morals and shift my perspective towards a, I guess, a higher vibration or a higher frequency of living was something that happened very subtly and very sort of subconsciously at that stage. And that's why I decided that I wanted to go to the source. I wanted to go travel in India. My mom's from India, so I've always had a very strong connection with 
the Indian sort of philosophies and cultures. And I wanted to learn from the source because I knew, I understood that there was something so much more to it than just a series of physical poses. So that was kind of, I guess, going to India was something that I really wanted to do. And I did travel first there with a best friend. But going to study yoga in India was, I guess, a real calling for me that I felt as if I didn't really have much choice. It was almost like that was my service and it was inevitably going to happen. And so when I kind of took that journey, it was very natural and very organic. It was almost as if I was just guided to to take those steps and, and to go and start my yoga teaching journey off at the source and be in the country that is really living, breathing yoga and really understanding it from a very embodied and very ingrained spiritual perspective. Mm, really interesting. So do you find that the more that you learn it, there's just more things that come up and, that, you know, there's obviously so much more like in-depth understanding of it? Definitely. And it's like, you know, most people in the West will come into yoga from the physical perspective. So, you know, some people might come in because they've heard it makes your body look good, you know, and that's fair enough. Or it makes you strong or it makes you fit or flexible or some people might come into it for, from a physical perspective because they've been told that it's helpful for stress release or regulating sleep or weight loss or any of those things. So most people in the West will come into yoga from the physical perspective. And this is great because physically there's nothing better that you can actually do for your body. But because of the deeper layers of yoga and if we look at it from sort of an almost an upside down perspective – Yoga began from sacred literature and scriptures, and it was a series of different sort of scriptures and epics, big books, if you like, in India that basically talked about various different spiritual practices that mostly revolved around meditation and mantra, which is repetition of chanting and where we're chanting words from various different scriptures and lots of prayer and devotional stuff. and, and ethics in which we're given to teach us how to live a healthy life, etc. And these scriptures were what yoga was in the beginning. And it was all about meditation. It was all about learning to meditate and learning to live a more holistic life. And so the ancient sages in those days would really practice long sits of meditation. And I mean, sits of meditation that extended over days or weeks or months or years. And so what they found when they were out in the forest and out in nature practicing meditation and just sitting still, they found that their bodies weren't coping very well. So there would be aches and pains and stiffness and tightness. So they mimicked the animals that they saw in the forest and notice how that they could sit for long periods and be still for long periods. So that's where yoga asana or yoga postures actually came from was the mimicking of the shapes that the animals made and the ancient sages deciding to use these poses as a form of yoga in order to make their bodies stronger, fitter and more supple for longer meditation sits. So we kind of flip it in the West. We come into yoga from a physical perspective, but in the East, we come into yoga from a more spiritual perspective. And what I really love about these two worlds is that meeting in the middle, because once we kind of meet in the middle, regardless of which end we've began at, it's inevitable that we are going to open ourselves up to what's to come because the practice of physical yoga opens your chakras, which creates more likelihood for you to spiritually evolve 
which then creates more curiosity around the deeper layers of yoga. And if we come in from the Eastern perspective as well, and we flip that and come through meditation and mantra and prayer and devotion, then often we we learn that it's beneficial to look after the physical body as well. You know, so we, wherever we come into yoga from, we've always got this almost inevitable integration that's going to take place of mind, body and spirit. Does that make some sense? That's brilliant that you said that because I was, I was going to ask, do you find, you know, you do a lot of teaching now. Do you find that people come in from that physical perspective because that's what they think that they're going to, but actually come out the other end going, wow, I've experienced something that I'm more intrigued about, about themselves? Because it's really a journey of the self and connecting with that higher self and coming back to that, that maybe they didn't realize that that's what they were going to flow into. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it it is a journey to the self through the self. We're basically connecting to ourselves in such a deep way through the physical preparations, which is all of the stuff we know here in the West, the breathing exercises, the exercises with the body, the asana, the practice, and the meditative aspect where we are clearing out the clutter of the mind and teaching the mind to become still, the emotional release where we're actually physically moving suppressed emotion and feeling out of the body as we practice, as we move, as we breathe, as we sigh, as we sound, as we practice different shapes with our body. And so we become almost integrated without even knowing that this is what is going to happen. And this is where most Western people do come in. And I love that. Like I love that a lot of people that come in, do they come for the physical stuff? Because watching them transform is something that is just so astounding still to me after 25 years, where I can see somebody come to yoga because they want to lose weight or feel fit or get bendy or whatever they want to do. And then they just notice that, starting to manifest amazing things into their life. They're starting to create great relationships. They're starting to care more about other people. They're starting to release trauma. You know, I've had people in class who, you know, will come up to me and say, look, I haven't cried in like 50 years. How come every time we do hip opening in your class, I'm crying and I'm releasing emotion. And it's like, well, that's because there's a lot of emotion stored in the hips. And as soon as we sit in that emotion and we do something to release it, and when we give ourselves permission to actually feel it, then this is what is going to happen because inevitably that's what the poses are for. They are here to create more likelihood for you to evolve. And for you to evolve, then you need to release the emotions and learn how to manage your emotional body so you can transcend those limitations that we face as humans. So, yes, so many people do come in from that perspective. And, you know, some people... Maybe they think that's as far as they're going to go. You know, they're going to practice physical yoga. And some people will do that for years, 20, 30, 40 years. They may even come in and out. But a lot of people do evolve to that point of becoming meditators or becoming interested in pranayama or becoming more interested in sacred literature or scriptures or chanting or retreats or whatever as a sort of evolving process from the physical poses. So because what you said before was really that it started more from meditation and then it's gone to the physical and yet now obviously it's the other way around. So talk about how does it come together? Like how do those two aspects really come together and become a powerful union? Because there are people that will go, well, when do you fit in meditation or how does that work in the practice or are there, and I know there got so many questions for you but there is you know there's also things like there are lots of different practices of yoga so there's obviously going to be some that and we'll talk about that in a minute about different types that are beneficial for different areas but how does meditation fit in 
to that physical practice as one? Yeah. Well, so really an, an ideal yoga class or a traditional yoga class, if you like, will always incorporate all of those things. So as a, a teacher trainer and a yoga mentor, one of my main jobs is to train and teach and mentor yoga teachers how to teach effectively well and appropriately. I do find that the Western perspective of teaching is often missing bits out. Now, this is not how I teach and it is not how I train. So if we look at what an actual holistic yoga class is, it will always incorporate meditation, pranayama, physical movement or asana, and then more meditation. So this is like a traditional way of teaching. So if we kind of broke that down into what that would look like in a Western perspective would be that you derive in your meditative seat and then, then there'd be breath awareness or there'd be chanting or mindfulness to bring you into that meditative space. Then ideally there would be pranayama, which actually means life force expansion, which we look at as breath techniques. And those breath techniques are used to create various different energy flow in the body. So we might do a breath technique or a pranayama technique before we start our asana. The asana will involve a warm-up sequence and then a main sequence and then a cool-down sequence, which is your posture work, the physical stuff. And then as we end again and we come into shavasana, we have the meditative focus back into the seat and back into the meditative focus again and maybe back into the breath. So the idea is for a yoga class to be complete, it always incorporates all, all those things. And this is how I teach and how I train and also what I find is coming back a lot now because there's so many people awake to the true teachings of yoga now. Whereas when yoga teacher trainings became very westernized and became very 250 hours and very cheap and, you know, you can anyone can do it. A lot of the meditative aspect and the pranayama, the breathing aspect, and the more kind of focused concentration, spiritual portion was left out. And I believe we're coming back into that now because people are really awake to the benefits of it, but also it's more integrated, even if it's not complex. And you know, we don't necessarily need to do complex meditation or breath work, but it's just having that awareness that it is part of the class. And so when we come at it from that perspective, it's already all happening. And then what happens as we evolve is we might spend more time practicing one thing. So we might see the benefit of meditation and decide to establish a daily meditation practice. And for me, that's up there with the most important thing that we need to be doing under the umbrella of yoga. You know, we need to be making sure that meditation is happening daily. If somebody said to me, look, I can only do one or the other. You know, I would always suggest meditation because the meditation is going to keep the mind and the emotions and the physical body much healthier than if it's not there because of the benefits that we have even scientifically on the brain, on the mind, on the, our immunity and on our, on our health in general through meditation. You know, so I always want to lead people towards that path. But the physical kind of attributes to yoga here that we have in the West, they're as important but bringing them all together is more important. You know what I mean? It's like a, it doesn't feel to me complete if there's a yoga class that doesn't visit any of those aspects. It's almost like for me, something is missing. That is what happens in India. 
in India, you go to a yoga class, it doesn't matter where you are, you will go to the yoga class and you will chant a devotional invocation or a devotional piece of scripture or literature or prayer, if you're comfortable with that word, at the beginning of your class. There will be meditation, there will be pranayama, there will be asana, there will then be shavasana and there'll be more meditation. And that is what happens in the East. The only time I've ever seen it kind of fiddled around with is in the West. And that's not everywhere in the West. It is quite common here in Australia. And from what I'm finding with the people I work with who are teachers, it's to do with confidence and it's to do with not having been taught that in teacher training. So tell us a little bit about your experience when you did all the training in India, because it sounds really like there's something very exotic about going there and learning from people that surrounding their whole life with this and that have those deep practices that are going to be quite different. You obviously had that experience. And so now you teach teachers, but tell us what it was like to go there and just be submerged in that world. Yeah. So in the first time I went to train in India, I was only 19. I'm now 42. So it's a long time ago, but I still remember just being so amazed and so in awe of how authentic everything was. It was almost like a dream. It was like it wasn't real. And I remember joining my first teacher training and I'd heard about so many teacher trainings in the West and I've heard about so many teacher trainings in other parts of the world. And every time I heard about them, I would have this kind of this real strong intuition of that. That's not right for me. That doesn't feel authentic. And then when I arrived in India, immediately I knew that that was where I was supposed to be, especially as because the first thing we learned was mantra. So I remember day one, I was thinking, you know, what's going to happen? They're going to teach us lots of physical poses and we're going to start. No, we sat down and we learned a a prayer, a devotional prayer in, in crazy, challenging, difficult Sanskrit. I mean, now I teach this myself, but at that time I was thinking, I'm never going to learn this. This is so difficult. The words are so difficult. And I remember back in those days, I had one of those little tape recorder things and I recorded my teacher singing the mantra and I just kept rewinding it, playing it and rewinding it and playing it. And I just knew like, this is what it's about. This is what yoga is. It's about this whole spiritual practice that has different facets that fit into our physical, mental, emotional world. And that's what yoga is to me. So immediately I fell into it. The experience was very challenging because I lived in with my teacher. All of the other students that I was with were from India. And so all of them spoke in their local dialect. My teacher also favored me, which didn't happen. So he would always very strict. It was always like, why can't you do this like Kaya and Kaya is learning this very quickly and care is a very good teacher. So he didn't have very good boundaries with favoritism, which some people might like that, not me. I was completely uncomfortable. And also my classmates weren't warming to me well because of that. Now I'm very close to my teacher. And, you know, I remember, I, I think for me then he was just so proud of me. I know that's what he was doing. He was very proud. But it was difficult because I felt very challenged by the language, by the Sanskrit. We also had exams. So we would study the Bhagavad Gita, one of our ancient scriptures. We would study various literature and we would have exams on that. So when people talk about teacher trainings here in the West, and I've actually taught many teacher trainings here in the West, I always refer back to that and think, wow, 
what I learned in that first teacher training is just incredible because what I see now, it's not even quarter of that information. Studying various scriptures just doesn't happen. So I'm always so grateful for that experience, but I do know it yeah, was physically quite difficult and it was very challenging, especially because I committed to long periods of time. So I would live in with my teacher for three months. My course was a year, and so I couldn't stay away from my home for a year. So I'd live in with him for three months and then go and have a break. And then I'd go live in with him for three months again. And I did that for a whole 12-month period. And it was amazing. Like, honestly, all that I learned from that training and the experience that I have changed my life forever. It put me onto a very positive path from a bit of a destructive path. It changed my whole perspective and it changed my whole life. Immediately when I landed back in my home country at that time, I started to teach yoga and have never stopped and started to teach yoga from the perspective of believing and knowing with certainty that I am responsible for facilitating people to change their life too. And it was just unimaginably, uh, it was just so powerful. And I am grateful for that experience every single day. I mean, if I could sort of suggest everyone in the West to at least do one teacher training in India, then I definitely would. Because the way that they live and breathe it and the way that it is so integrated and so potent and powerful and the discipline there is just something that all Western teachers need. We all need it. Because we're not taught discipline in the same way in the West as we are in the East. Mm, It's almost like a diluted version of what you're experiencing when you're there and you can't really get that in any other way. So what made you decide to go from being the student to the teacher and wanting to share that? Obviously, you've had this amazing experience, but what was it that sort of made you think, this is something I want to go and teach and not just use it for for yourself? Well, I had a very solid practice and I had three teachers within one place, but one that I was very connected with. And he was from India and I was living in Dubai at the time in the Middle East. I lived there for many years. And at the time I was a personal trainer and working as a fitness professional and teaching all of the, you know, sort of Les Mills classes and spin and RPM and, you know, all of that stuff. And I had a really solid yoga practice. And one of my teachers would often say, do a teacher training, do a teacher training. You'd be amazing. You can bring it into your business. And I remember the first few times he mentioned it, just thinking, that's ridiculous. I can't do that. Like just thinking this is, I actually remember thinking this is a real Indian practice. My studio in Dubai was Indian. All of my teachers were Indian. And I had this misconception, even though I'm actually half Indian, but I had this misconception that I would be an imposter if I did it. And it was, I don't even know where that came from, but it was something that I, when he first said it, I thought, God, is he joking? Like, wow, I can't even believe that he would say that. That's crazy. And I don't think I'd ever at that point had a Western yoga teacher ever. So I was a bit like, oh, this seems really odd. But then we talked more about it. And then I ended up talking to a lot of fitness professionals that I knew. And a lot of them had yoga training. So that was, you know, in a lot of the gyms I was working out of there in Dubai, you know, I would start to notice more Western yoga teachers and just had such a great affiliation with this particular studio and teacher, but also such a great practice. I mean, I practiced every day. I would go twice a day to class if I could. I was religiously dedicated to my practice. And so I just decided, and he even, my teacher, he even told me where to go. 
I would have had no idea. He made a suggestion in Mysore, India. He told me what I would need to do. He told me that he could give me some references. He told me what books that I would need to read. And, and I think because of all of that, right, really sort of positive support and guidance, after I got over myself with the whole imposter syndrome, I was quite uh, quick to just book it. I think I decided on on a Friday and then booked my tickets on, on the Sunday and then was gone by like one week later or something. I think it was very fast and it was a long time ago, but it was almost like, yeah, of course, this is the next step. This is definitely what I, what I need to do is I, I want to learn this. And it's interesting that you ask about teaching because even at this stage, I kept thinking in the back of my head, I'm doing this for me. I'm not going to teach yoga. I'm going to keep on personal training and I'm going to do all those things. And I'm not going to teach yoga. This is for me because I love it so much. So I hadn't even decided that I was going to teach at that stage. I believed that I would use it just for my own self, I guess, and my own health and well-being. Literally all the way through that three-month period or however long, I think it might have even been a little longer, I still didn't believe I would teach and I still believe that all of the Indian teachers were better and they had better flexibility and I still looked at my, I can't do this and I can't do that and, you know, this whole kind of insecurities that I think many of us have, especially when we're younger, about not being good enough. And after that period, it was almost like, yep, this is great, got my teacher training, did all the things. Once I got to the end of that training, I was really surprised to receive distinction from this wonderfully prestigious yoga school in Mysore. I don't think that anyone who was Western had received distinction grades before. So when I received my qualifications, I had distinction all over my my certificates and it kind of just blew me away. So it's like, well, it must be a mistake. Uh, but I remember one of my teachers who was a woman and she was a very advanced yoga practitioner and she was like, going, oh my God, you've got distinction and dancing around and she was so happy. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, I'm probably quite good at this. Maybe there's something in this. Maybe I am quite good at it. You know, I don't know. And it was literally when I flew back to Dubai and I landed and maybe the day I landed, two of my personal training clients immediately just said, oh, I want private yoga now instead of PT. And I was like, oh, no, but I'm not going to teach. <laughs> I don't plan to teach. And they were like, well, that's what I want. So I just thought, oh, well, I know it. So maybe I'll do that. And then that, it, that just evolved. From that day, everybody started asking for yoga. I had private yoga clients from the day that I got back. And it just never stopped. I just started to teach yoga and haven't looked back, haven't stopped. And yeah, it was a very, I think, organic journey from that moment on. I love that you've shared that story about that feeling like an imposter because there are so many people that, you know, on the show we talk about anything that's mystical and spiritual and transformational, which is such a huge amount of topics that come into that. But how so many people going on a journey and they're not thinking about, they're just doing it for themselves. And sometimes there comes that point where someone poses that question of you've got this ability, you should share this with others. And often ourself and the way we're looking at it and our perspective stops us. We're not good enough or how could, you know, we possibly teach that? There's all these other people, like I'm not qualified enough, but actually, you know, not forcing it. Like what you're talking about is not to force it. It really was just more kind of just go with that flow and see where what doors open up to you. 
rather than trying to make it into something. And I think that's that's a really good point for people to hear that if, if that's something they're thinking about, you know, could I take my, you know, abilities and, and turn it into something more to share it with people? Because there are a lot of people that are seeking that information out and that knowledge and, and would have connected with you especially because, you know, they might not want to go to India to learn that, but they know you've got that that special thing that you've been able to learn and, and to bring that forward. So yoga has a lot of different practices and that was something that I wasn't really aware of. And then over time I've learned more about yoga and realized, wow, there's all these different practices and you teach and train on a lot of these. So talk to us about these practices and like, how do people know what they should, are they meant to do one? Are they basic ones? Are they more advanced? Or is it just you prefer one? Tell us, let's walk into the realm of all these different types of yoga. Okay. That's quite exciting. So there's, there's a couple of ways to look at that. So we have what we call lineages of yoga. So they will be kind of traditional schools of yoga that follow a certain structure and they have a certain discipline associated with them. And, you know, they will be things like maybe you've heard of some of these, but maybe things like Ashtanga Vinyasa or Iyengar Yoga or Kundalini Yoga Satchitananda Yoga, Shivananda Yoga. These are all lineages of yoga that have been taught for a very long time. They're very established and they're taught in a certain way. So if if I was to go and study Iyengar, I would study in certain schools with certain teachers and I would be taught a traditional lineage, which is structured a certain way. So there'd be various different mantras we use, various different meditation techniques we use and various different postures and sequences and ways and means and techniques associated with that particular lineage. The other sort of way we can look at it is rather than lineages, we have also style. So ways in which we can practice. So maybe we've heard of things like yin yoga, where we practice very slow and very passive. And it's actually more connective tissue than muscular involvement. It's actually even more meditative than physical. And then we have things like restorative yoga, where we use lots of bolsters and props and cushions and blankets and eye pillows. And then we have things like flow, which just means it's moving. You know, it just means that there's a continuous flow. We maybe look under hatha yoga, which means yoga of movement with traditional hatha yoga. There'd always be a little bit of a break between the poses to integrate. So we have all of these different physical ways of looking at yoga. And the umbrella term for all of them is hatha yoga. It means yoga of movement. And no matter what anyone tells you, that is exactly what all of it is, because some people get attached to their lineages or their styles. But if it's yoga of physical body movement, then it is a form of hatha yoga. Hatha means sun and moon, light and dark, yin and yang. And it literally just means yoga of the physical body. So any, any yoga that falls under that physical movement, then we can kind of umbrella term it there. Then we also have our other yogic practices. So we have Dharana, for example, and Dhyana, which are focused points of meditation where we have a specific thing to focus on. Maybe we're focusing on the breath, where maybe we're focusing on a mantra, a mudra, a candle, a deity, a god, goddess. We also have different things like 
breath techniques and pranayama that we might focus on. And this is part of meditation or leading into meditation. We then also have tons of different types of meditation, you know, Vedic meditation, Kundalini meditation, chanting, mindfulness, you know, moving meditation, so many different types of meditation that we can choose. We also have things like Kriyas, which Kriya translates to to do and a kriya is a series of things that we do to bring health vitality and wellness so it might be a cleansing kriya where we learn a technique of pouring salt water through the nostrils to clean them or we learn a cleansing kriya where we maybe even purge where we might drink salt water and then actually vomit that salt water up and these are all kriya techniques that we use for cleansing the body and then we also have obviously ancient scriptures and all of our different literature associated with our yoga we have karma yoga which is basically karma yoga is where we have an act of service that we do for the collective for it to be beneficial so in karma yoga it's almost like we're giving something back bhakti yoga which is devotional yoga it's about devoting to a higher power and bhakti yoga can be singing or chanting but it can also be acts of service nad yoga which is sound and vibration and literally the list just goes on and on and this is why you know when someone says i don't like yoga for someone with as much knowledge about yoga as myself we kind of we know that's impossible <laughs> almost you know i will i will know that's impossible because i believe i can find a form of yoga for everyone you know and even just there's so many people will say well i can't do yoga i don't like it i can't touch my toes and it's a kind of such a weird thing to hear even though i've heard it a million times because it just reminds me straight away that wow this is still the misconception that people have my job my service is to really educate people to know that one form of yoga whether it's counting their breath or using a particular breath technique or meditating and listening to visualization or yoga nidra that could change your whole life and really heal you from within and so for me i know that part of my service here is to really make sure that people understand how much more there is available for them through the vessel of yoga yeah absolutely like just listening to you i'm thinking i didn't even know that there was so much going on behind the scenes of it and i think there is this idea that it's going to be something that's sort of simple or it's one practice that it's actually just one thing and that actually that's not quite right there are, is a lot to it as well as this idea about being able to teach it and learn it it's just this easy thing and it's actually there's a lot more to that and what you're describing it's like wow it's a bit of a rabbit hole you could just keep going in and till you find what fits with you and obviously there's that self-discovery along the way that's obviously going to happen when you're working with students. What do you think being something that one of the most extraordinary experiences you've seen for a student before? I mean, it's never ending for me because I run mentoring programs for yoga teachers. And so I do teacher trainings and all of the other things, but the mentoring programs for yoga teachers is just where I guess my heart just explodes with love because I'm so passionate about it. Although I'm passionate about everything, my mentoring programs run sort of two or three times a year. And these are teachers who are already trained and they're struggling somewhere in the industry mostly. So it might be 
business stuff. I teach yoga business. So it might be the business stuff, or it might be that they're not confident with their voice, or maybe they want to learn new things, or maybe they are struggling with asana or meditation or mantra. Generally, there's something that draws them to me. What I find extraordinary is the transformation that people receive after my four-month program. <laughs> so I can work privately with people, but I have a four-month program. And I've had so many stories of teachers who have literally arrived. They've done all the teacher trainings in the world. They've got all of these qualifications on paper, but they haven't done anything at all with it. So they are sort of in this space of kind of being stuck, basically. So for me, it's always extraordinary to work with these individuals because it is literally about waking up the true potential within the individual that sits in front of me. It's not about giving them more training. It's not about giving them actually anything that they don't already have. It's about awakening them through trauma release, through energy healing, through emotional healing, through meditation and ritual to actually see the capacity that lies within them when it comes to living their highest timeline. Through this work, I have just been astounded and had so many extraordinary experiences where I've began with someone who is literally doing nothing. And then by the time we've reached the end of this four months, they have a thriving yoga business. They have clients coming in. I can teach them manifestation techniques where they can close their eyes and create the students that they want. And then the next moment, they'll be getting a phone call and having somebody book in, you know, because all we're doing here is awakening people to what is truly calling them anyway and what their soul is really aligned for. So there's so many stories that I could sort of, you know, bring to the forefront about how extraordinary they are. But one that really stands out for me is having one particular woman who I remember in the beginning had so much teacher training was just crazy, you know, hours and hours. I think she'd done maybe six different teacher trainings and she was on paper the most qualified person ever. She had so many skills. She's been practicing yoga for about 20 years. And when she first arrived in the program, she wasn't going to teach. That was the first thing. She wasn't going to teach. She didn't want to teach. And she just wanted to get more confident so that she could use her yoga with her family or use her yoga with her friends and maybe use her yoga in some of the other therapies that she was already doing. She had no confidence, no self-esteem, didn't want to run a business, didn't believe in herself in any way possible, any way, shape or form. Once she'd done maybe three weeks of work with me, honestly, she was just getting people approaching her continuously. And it was literally people messaging her saying, I really want to do private yoga, or I'd really like to employ you to do this. I'd like you to teach at this event, or I'd like you to co-run this retreat with me. And she was still in this, oh, I can't do any of this, but she'd open the floodgates. And, you know, by the end of this four month period with this particular woman, she'd not only got maybe six or seven private clients, but she's also started to co-teach on teacher trainings. She started to co-run retreats. She set up retreat centers. Like now it's a few, it's probably about, eight years ago. She has one of the most thriving yoga businesses I've ever seen. And she's also mentoring other teachers. The complete flip in this woman just blew me away. I mean, I'm having that in my programs every time. Like the last two programs I've run, I've also had these people who've just gone from here to straight into this soul ascension. And th this is something that is really, for me, powerful. This is where I believe that we are using yoga and meditation as the therapy and the modality 
that allows these people to deliver yoga and meditation professionally. You know, so that's what the beauty is about these mentoring courses. You know, we're using yoga, we're using meditation, we're using ritual, we're using the scripture, we're using all of the gifts from yoga to be able to wake up into the individual, what they can actually offer through yoga as a modality. And it's just life-changing, transformational, helping people to wake up to the fact that that's what they're here to do rather than what they've heard or been taught before, which is, you know, this might be a hobby or you can't make a living out of that or it will never be a permanent job, or you'll have to just teach it. You know, all of that is absolutely not true. We can make it an extremely rewarding career out of yoga if we just do it the right way. The first step for that is aligning your heart with it. You know, like if it's in your heart and it's in the stars, that's what you're here to do. Then you have to really believe that with certainty. And when you really believe that with certainty and know that to be your highest truth, then it's actually quite easy to start calling it in because as soon as we're aligned with our highest self, as soon as we start living that highest timeline and that highest frequency, as soon as we have certainty of what we offer, we send that vibration out and then we're going to bring back exactly what it is that we are calling in. And I believe that that's what I'm here to do. And having these situations where, you know, I'll have this beautiful, I had this beautiful boy in my last program who you know he said to me at the beginning on week one I just really really have a goal to teach a couple of yoga classes by the end of this program that's all I want and through the program he got contacted by a gym and was teaching gym classes he's also taught all of us classes and he actually assisted me on my last retreat and that was someone who'd never, ever taught any yoga you know, in his life. And he's only young as well. So it's, it's a continuous, I guess, continuous, beautiful experience for me to receive these really astounding situations and stories. And it is mostly through the mentoring work and coaching work that I do now in the industry. I think that's beautiful because it that travels through so many different aspects and not just yoga that often people, they need someone in their court to really reflect it back for what they can't see, but can be very obvious to others what they can see. But to see it in yourself, sometimes we've got these things that we get hung up on and we just can't move forward. But it can be quite a almost painful experience to not step into your own truth. And then they, and that's why those people sort of will, they don't feel comfortable, but they don't know why. And then when they step into it, they go, oh, so much easier. Like this is what I was meant to do, but I just didn't know how to navigate myself with confidence to that path. So no doubt you've seen a lot of come to you and and go down that path. So for someone that is. Yes. And it's a beautiful, beautiful experience, you know, just to, just to see someone change their perspective about themselves and to step into their power and to unconditionally love themselves throughout that process. It's it's such a gift. Yeah. And we've all got it inside us and some of us are quite frightened to let that out. So to have someone like yourself come forward and say, you know, I'm there to back you up. That's a really powerful, powerful thing that a lot of people are looking for. So if someone is wanting to do yoga, is it something that, you know, how often should someone be practicing it to see the benefits? Because there are so many benefits talking about earlier, the mind, you know, the body, the soul, there's so much to it. So for people to really see that benefit, would you say that there is actually a minimum or is that just a myth that if, you know, if you just do it every now and then, what are your thoughts on that? Well, to be totally honest, you know, so the way that we look at discipline in the West is very lax and we're actually frightened of the word discipline because 
we've got all these associations and connotations of the word. You know, I've spoke to so many people since I've been in Australia and friends and students and clients. As soon as we talk about discipline, everyone goes, you know, what have I done? Or don't tell me what to do. You know, we've all got this emotional trauma inside and mental trauma inside about discipline. But if we look at discipline from the Eastern perspective, it's actually a really nice way to look at it. It's discipline is more about you doing something that is really for your highest good. Discipline is about you committing to something regularly that will give you a better quality of life. And so when we look at yoga and one way of looking at what yoga is, which you might like, is yoga is the discipline of the mind, body and spirit. And this is the words of Jörg Fornstein, who was an exceptional yoga teacher, mentor, writer, author who passed away not so long ago. His description for me is the best. Yoga is the discipline of the mind, body, spirit, you know, and he was a German guy that spent a lot of time in India and he would sort of write in his books about, wow, I'm just cannot believe how the Western person is just so lacking discipline. You know, you tell an Indian person or an Eastern person, practice this mantra every morning at 6 a.m., they'll do it. No stress. You tell an English person or a Western person or a European person to do it, they won't do it. And it will take a long time. And there's just a real different energy in what we've been taught. And when it comes to discipline, it is important with yoga. We do need to be doing it regularly. So if it's like anything, if you go to the gym twice a week, that's not really even hitting a maintenance zone. If you go to the gym three times a week, that's going to give you maintenance of what you've got. If you want to get fitter and stronger and improve, you need to go between five and six times a week, right? This is how it works. We want a regular practice. And in Sanskrit, we call this abhyasa. Abhyasa means something that you commit to regularly that's going to change your life. And so with yoga, we want to be disciplined. We want to say, right, okay, I'm going to do yoga this amount of times, X amount of times. I will say to people, if they're working with me, privately, for example, that I'd love you to be doing some yoga every day, you know, maybe you have one day off, you know, so you're doing a few physical poses, you're doing some sun salutations and some meditation every day. There may be other people who are working with me as, as, co as I'm coaching them or mentoring them as teachers. I definitely want them to be doing it every day. For someone who's practicing like yourself or someone new into yoga or someone who's dabbling in and out, I'd say the minimum three, four times a week is where you're going to really start to notice benefits. And, you know, many people who notice in the benefits, they're going to their studios once or twice a day. When I, the last studio that I owned, I would have many regulars that would come morning and night. And I would have many regulars that would come every single morning because it just gives you such different your physical body is more supple. Your joints are more mobile. Your body is slimmer and stronger. You've got better functioning organs and glands, and you can feel that. You've got a calmer mind. You've got more integrity and authenticity in your personality and in your actions. You've got less emotional storage and residue in the body. And you can notice really quickly that this is directly related to yoga. I mean, I was talking to a client last week who said, He's just been to visit his doctor and he's late 50s and visited a doctor recently. And she's just blown away by his test results because since he's been doing yoga five times a week, every single health concern that he had has gone. His cholesterol is down. His stats and his vitals have changed. His blood pressure is much better. His heart rate is much, everything's changed. And he said to me, the only thing I've done is yoga. The only thing I've changed is yoga. 
And so when we really can see the benefits of that commitment, it's going to make us want to do it more. And I think whilst it's still a bit of a challenge for some people, we want to really give ourselves three or four times a week as a minimum. And that doesn't need to be full hours. It can be 30 minutes. 20-minute video, it can be a YouTube video, it can be, you know, whatever you want it to be. It doesn't have to be a full 60 or 90-minute class, but just having that commitment there that you may be doing some sun salutations every day, or maybe doing some cat and cow, or maybe doing some chanting or whatever, but it's something that you want to really sort of bring in as part of your daily ritual so that you can really reap the benefits of it. Mm, I loved what you said about discipline because it's so true. And even you saying that for me, I was thought, oh, discipline, like there is that. And I don't know, it's obviously a lot that is trapped in that, that thinking of it and being, it's like that sense of being told what to do. But in fact, when you flip it and look at it from that perspective, you go, well, that's actually a really beautiful thing that you're doing for you. And I think we've got trapped that discipline is about someone outside of you, not yourself. So I loved that you, that you brought that up because it feels more like it's ease. When you said that, it felt like an, an easy understanding of it and that's something you actually want to do, not walk away from that. It's almost like honouring yourself, right? It's like when we choose discipline, we choose to honour and love the physical, mental and emotional vessel that we have been given. Whereas when we choose not to and we have the perspective of somebody telling us what to do, then it feels as if we're in that resistance, you know. And I mean, it's come from somewhere, but it is collectively very obvious here, you know, in, in Western societies. It is something I notice a lot. I'm sure you do as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think it's seen as that sort of a negative thing or something that we're going to struggle to do. And I think there are a lot of people that have a bit of a fear of if I do something, if I take something on that they can't trust themselves and that comes back to discipline. I can't trust myself that I'm going to do that over and over again. I'm not going to start a new practice because I might not be able to continue that. But when you take it from the perspective of how you were looking at it, that that's a whole nother game. You know, that's, you're really taking that on board yourself. You're not doing it for someone else. And often we think of, I suppose, schooling, you know, discipline, you think, well, the teacher wants me to do that. My parents want me to do that. Not you coming back to, to that self, but I guess getting into that, those practices. And when you're stepping into something like yoga, you're going to learn that about yourself. So I'm so glad that you've been able to come in and talk about this, because I think it's something that there's so much more to it than what we see. And even what you said before about it doesn't have to be a big thing. You don't have to spend hours and hours doing it. It could just be something that you do every morning and that you could just put something on YouTube. It doesn't have to be something that's really difficult because that can also, you know, some people just want to test it out. Is it for me? Should I be doing this? Is it, if I, what if I'm not doing it right? All those kinds of things come up, but having you say, you know, there are so many ways you can do it, but if you start that practice, you're going to start to see those benefits. And I think that's like anything in life. If you do those things continuously and you bring that practice in, you do see the benefit. You can't see it if you do it once. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That is exactly right. It's about just being committed and, and giving it time because I know with yoga, once we do that, it will be something that we want to continue doing. But it's like anything. If we are viewing discipline as something external, then we're actually stuck in that concept of sort of not being completely in our own energy. We are still believing that anyone else even has the power to control us. 
which is a big wake-up call when we realize that that's not possible. We are responsible for ourselves. No one else has that sense of control. So even if somebody does tell you what to do, you don't need to do it because you are the boss of you. <laughs> you know. And so when we really get accountable and responsible for ourselves, we want to do those things for ourselves because we know we've only been given one physical vessel in this life. It's here to carry us from the beginning to the end of this life. And it's going to be better for us to take care of it in the long run. And yoga gives us all the tools that we need in order to take care of all of it, the mind, body, and the spirit. This has just been the most beautiful conversation to to go through. And I feel like there's so many more things we could talk about. So I'm going to have to get you back on the show again to talk about more of it. But um, that would be as, wonderful. We, as we wrap up today, tell us if people want to find out a little bit more about you, either whatever practices that you have, if they're a teacher or they're wanting to learn a bit more about it. I know you run quite a few programs and you have workshops and retreats and things like that. So how what's the best way to, for people to find you? Yes. So the next thing that I will be doing is my yoga mentoring program. So the Confident Embodied Yoga Teachers Mentoring Program, that's a four month program for trained teachers who want to thrive. So basically, it's shifting struggling yoga teachers into thriving yoga teachers. And the next round of this begins in February. So details are on my website, they're on my social media, which is Instagram and Facebook. And that's the next thing that I'm doing for yoga teachers. For people that want to practice with me or attend any of my retreats, you can get hold of me through my website. You can get hold of me through my socials. And I'm really happy to answer any questions. I normally run yoga, meditation, and well-being retreats locally in Australia two to four times a year. So my next one is January, which is full. But I have a retreat coming up in June, which is a winter yin and stillness retreat, which focuses on the yin side of life. So yin yoga, restorative yoga, qigong and meditation. That one's in Queensland and that will be in June, July. So there's still some spaces left there. Anyone can hop onto my website, contact me through my form, or I'm happy to receive messages through Facebook, through Instagram. Amazing. And I will link everything below in the show notes. And if you also come across to veritijoy.com, you'll find all the notes in there as well in the recordings. And we share this on YouTube so people can can watch it because I know people are often listening, but they want to come and see who we are. So there's lots of places you'll be able to find all that info if you want to connect with Kea when you've finished listening to the episode. So again, thank you so much. We really appreciate you jumping on today and having a chat with us. Thank you so much for having me and I look forward to coming back and talking in detail perhaps about some of those big things broken down into something smaller. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you so much, Verity. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another magical episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show in your podcast app so you don't miss another episode. And we'd love you to share the podcast with any family or friends who might be interested in the show.